0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning, everybody. Mm, we're getting better and better at that. Actually, I think it's the same every time. It just sounds different when I'm up here. So, um, Hello. My name is Eric. It is great to see all of you guys. I am a pastor in training here, if I had not had the chance Uh, to meet you. Appreciate you all coming and joining us for the last week of our series called Question Everything. Um, Also, did anyone uh, this morning, you may have all used your phones for alarm clocks. Did anyone forget to set their alarm to a different time? Yeah, 5 o'clock was very early this morning when my alarm went off uh, at the wrong time. So glad most of you did not make that mistake. I certainly did. And it's better that it wasn't the other way around, because I would have been super late. Um, But anyways, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 19. We're going to end up there in just a little bit. Um, But just like I said, we're at the end of our series called Question Everything. Uh, So as a reminder or a refresher for for all of you... um, we have been going through and working through some different topics and different questions that a lot of people or some people have in regards to the Christian faith or in relation to the Christian faith. So sometimes it's within the church, uh, right? Sometimes it's from people who, who see things uh, maybe that Christians do and say and wonder why. So it could be from either of those groups. Um, and also, these are not just questions uh, that, that we have heard People ask, right? These are questions that we, uh, as a staff, as as leadership here, have also asked or worked through and continue to wrestle with at times uh, in our spiritual journeys, personally. And today is no exception uh, for me, especially. So as we wrap up the series, I'm I'm looking forward to jumping into this because this is something that I've spent a lot of time uh, thinking about and working through uh, personally in my life. Um, but today we are going to be working through the question: Is Christianity anti-science? Yeah, nice and light, right? Remember, I said I'm a pastor in training, right? And they were like, you know what? Anti-science. That sounds like a good thing for you to talk to everybody about. Uh, it's going to be great. It's, it's fine. And also, depending on how this question comes out, I'm going to have to have some super awkward conversations with about half of my life group who work in STEM fields. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes, everybody. Um, so, before we dive in and and really get into what we're talking about, I feel like I need to have a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, I don't think that I intentionally am doing it this way. Uh, if I am, feel free to let me know later, uh, but there may be parts of today's teaching that kind of come across as, I don't know if lecture is the right word, but kind of like more maybe academic, maybe uh, just, you know, it's just a lot of information. I mean, it's about science. It can't be all that personal, I guess, well, it can, we'll see. Um, but. I also think that it might just be the way that I teach because every time I do it, I'm like, you know, that was, that was very luxury. I don't know why I did that. So heads up, it's going to be a little bit luxury today, but I still think it's going uh, to be really helpful. And A lot of it's just due to the nature of the topic. Um, that is not to say that today will be boring, hopefully. I will do my best to try to, to not make it like that, but I figured I would just let you know ahead of time. Um, Also, as we do with all of our series, all of our teachings every week, we spend a lot of time uh, researching and reading and uh, going to all kinds of different sources to try to get all the, the information together that we want to communicate. This week is absolutely no exception. I'm going to be pulling from some different people, some different data that I found, some different uh, stances, different camps, different points of view, um, and I'm not going to be like necessarily citing all of that as I go. So if you have questions after the fact, feel free to let me know, and I'll be happy to let you know where I got any of this from. Um, so maybe some of you have uh, wrestled with this question personally, like I have at different points in your life. Um, others of you may just inherently understand the need to address a, uh, a topic like this one, whether you've personally wrestled with it or not. Um, but you, you still probably very much understand why it's important for us to talk about. And, and some of you may not uh, understand or be thinking about the need to talk about it, or address it at all, and that's fine. Um, no matter where you are, uh, I just want everyone to bear with me as we go through this because I feel like uh, it is a really important thing to talk about, and I also feel like this is a pretty helpful way of going about it. Um, so the first thing that I wanna do is I wanna try to zoom out just uh, a little bit and uh, paint a broad picture. Um, so this conflict, or this perceived conflict, as, as I'm gonna call it throughout today, uh, between science and faith is one that I feel like has been around for a long time. Um, Sometimes it actually seems that that's just kind of the baseline, right? Conflict. That's it between them. Um, But as far as we can tell, the perceived tension that we have today between science and faith, it goes pretty far back, but most notably, it goes to a guy you may have heard of named Galileo. Has anybody heard of Galileo in here? Most people. Oh, that's great. Uh, So if you don't know, or you just want a reminder, or you want to say that, you think of him differently than I do. Galileo is a famous, uh, really famous guy among, uh, among a lot of things. Uh, but one of them was, was for making improvements on some of the early telescope designs and technology. Uh, and he, he I- hypothesized that the earth revolved around the sun. Doesn't sound all that earth shattering to most people in the room, probably. Seems pretty obvious to a lot of us. Uh, but at the time that he came up with that, or he said, hey, I think this is the way that things work, a large majority of people believe the opposite of that, right? They, they believe that the sun revolved around the earth. Uh, most notably, the Catholic Church at the time believed it. And something that's interesting, I think, to point out is they, they didn't believe it because it was like explicitly said in scripture uh, or somewhere in the Bible it says like the earth is the middle of everything. Like it doesn't say that explicitly, um, but they decided and, and reasoned that the earth was the most important. It's where Jesus came. It's pretty important, right? Uh, and so they said, it must be the center of everything, right? Uh, they pieced together a couple different Bible verses to kind of try to sort of argue this point and just said, this is the way things are. Um, imagine how they probably felt uh, when they found out somebody was saying, like, hey, I'm pretty sure you're wrong about that. That's, that's significant, Right? I can only imagine how they would have responded if they could look today and just see how small even our entire galaxy is just compared to our closest neighbors, like let alone everything else. But that's a different, different conversation. Um, so when Galileo came into the scene and he proposed this alternate view of thinking, right, different than what uh, a lot of people believed at the time, specifically the Catholic Church based on his studies, they were not a fan at all of what he was saying, right? And as a result, they were not a fan of him. Uh, some people... Uh, were so vehemently against his positions that they even took the stance of saying that he was actively trying to threaten the foundations of the church, right? So here's just a few examples. Uh, There was a Dominican father named Caccini, and he said in a sermon, he wrote a sermon specifically for Galileo, and he said, quote, geometry is of the devil, and Mathematicians should be banished as the authors of all heresies, right? I said the same thing in AP Calculus, let me tell you. Um, And then I failed the test. But it's fine. Uh, I didn't need it anyways. I'm in ministry now. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, uh, there were other people at the time um, who said things like this. So these are all direct quotes. They said, uh, his pretended discovery vitiates the whole Christian plan of salvation. And then we have another one that says, it casts suspicion on the doctrine of the incarnation. Well, it's pretty strong words, right? Apparently, if the sun is in the middle of the solar system, um, none of us can have a relationship with Jesus. So, I'm sorry, all of you who believe that. Um, if you didn't know, now you know. It's, that's a leap, a bit of a leap, I will say. I don't know that I've heard... Others that are quite as big. Uh, could you imagine how confused they would have been when we like, found Pluto and then we just kicked it right back out? Like, could you imagine? They would have been all over the place. Um, anyways, sorry. So Galileo received a lot of criticism. Uh, but he also, uh, not just from the Catholic Church, he also received criticism from John Calvin. You may have heard of him, the famous theologian. Uh, Martin Luther, another guy that we talk about a lot who had some great things to say. Um, so they were also uh, kind of opposed to some of the things that he was, was talking about. And so eventually, all of his publications were banned, right? They were outlawed. They said no one's allowed to read anything that Galileo said. They told him that he had to basically say everything that he came up with was he didn't believe it anymore, and then he was placed under house arrest for the last 10 years of his life. That sounds like conflict to me <laughs> between the church and somebody who's making uh, scientific claims. Um, so I think, obviously, there was massive tension between these two groups, right? But I personally would say I don't think that it is an entirely legitimate tension, right? It was, it was fabricated to a degree and based on misinterpretations and false assumptions about the Bible or people just using the Bible to try to justify some things that they thought at the time. And also, something I think that's really interesting about this whole ordeal uh, is that Galileo was a strong follower of Jesus his whole life. He remained one until he died, right? He argued that his, his entire life, he argued that scientific exploration was not only permissible for a believer, but he said it was a noble cause, right? And he said before he died, he said this quote. He said, I do not feel obliged that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended us to forego their use, right? So keep that in mind for later. We're going to come back to that. Um, but I think that the, this spirit, the spirit of science versus faith, uh, can be traced all throughout the ages, right? When Galileo was, was around before him with different discoveries uh, in, in modern day, right? You, you don't have to look very far to feel like this is a tension that exists. I mean, look at, you can go and watch school board meetings, right? Open school board meetings. Anytime the topic of COVID comes up or vaccines or even science textbooks, we we see fireworks, right? Uh, Look at conversations surrounding things like climate change or evolution or the historical validity of Genesis 1 and 2 or carbon dating or stem cell research or fossil records, all of these different things. Um, Or if you're like, what on earth are you talking about? I don't, what is that? You can just ignore those and we can get back to the, to the main point, um, I'm just saying there's plenty of specific topics, right, that we can trace throughout time where it seems like science and faith are just pitted against each other. Um, if you just, I mean, simply taking, we'll say, a broad survey of global conversations um, on a number of different topics, those that I said that's not exhausted by any means, on plenty of other things, it's easy to get the impression that science and faith are two different teams, right? Um, and I think a lot of this tension comes down uh, to an inherent belief by, by many people that there actually are two teams. People think that that, is the, that, that that is the truth, that there are just two teams. There's science and there's faith, right? You have to pick one. You got to pick a team. Uh, and to be fair, it, it has not always been uh, religious people stoking this debate, I know we just talked about the church and the Dominican Fathers and Martin Luther and all those people. It's it's also come from within the scientific community at times as well. Um, For example, there's a a guy named Richard Dawkins. You may have heard of him, you may not. He's a well-known biologist, and uh, he's an author. He's written several books. Uh, But he said this. He said, quote, I am against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. He also said, "I don't despise religious people. I despise what they stand for." Uh, right? There are also plenty of uh, other quotes. There's a famous physicist. His name is Stephen Hawking. You may have heard of him. Uh, he said, "We could call order by the name of God, but it would be an impersonal God. There is not much personal about the laws of physics." Uh, there's also quotes I could go on with from, from famous people like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson or uh, Bill Nye or all these different people who have said things that, that basically seem like they're pitting science against religion. Right? And listen, I am by no means trying to attack those people. Lots of respect for them. Uh, my, my internet network at home is called Bill Y. The Science Fi, So, I am a big fan of all of these people. Just make sure that everybody knows that. That is true. I didn't change it for this. It's been that for like four years. Um, I'm just trying to show you my point that if we're truly honest, right, both sides, uh, science and faith in this in this conversation, have done their fair share to stoke the fire of debate, right? Stoke, we'll stoke the fire on the other side, against the other side of debate. Um, and I, I think it's something really interesting worth noting on, on this. I feel like we... If you just take a step back and look, it's like, yeah, obviously, conflict between them, always. Uh, they, they're not compatible, whatever, any of those things that people say. Um, but I really think the level of this tension uh, is more perceived than it is widespread. Right? I, in fact, I looked at a recent study, uh, and it, it surveyed uh, people from all different backgrounds uh, in America specifically. So outside of that, this stat may not apply. But it says 16%, only 16% of Christians say their religious beliefs often conflict with science. 16%, it's about one in six. Um, So the loudest voices, I would say, that are claiming conflict or saying that there is constant conflict are really a minority if if we look at just the stats. They're just the loudest, right? Uh, and I think it's really important to remind ourselves of that um, because while there are loud voices that, that make headlines or uh, that make, you know, make it into Twitter threads or anywhere else with their angry tirades, it's, it's really a small percentage of, of Christians that do this from the religious side. Um, so it may not be necessarily helpful to paint, paint with really broad brushes. So I say that as much for my benefit as anyone else because I'm very quick to be like, that person's wrong, everybody's wrong. Um, which is not the case. It's, you know, a person being loud. Um, but I think it's worth noting. But what I want to do with our time, the, the rest of today, or the bulk of our time today, is to try to show you from the scriptures that I don't think these two teams uh, e- exist in the way that we think they do. I think they're actually false dichotomies in our, uh, in our current climate and throughout time. Um, I, and I want to show you that I don't think it is actually necessary to force anyone to choose between science and religion or to choose between reason and faith. Right? Are there tensions to navigate? Sure. There are tensions to navigate with every kind of discipline, every different camp, every different uh, field of research, all of those things. I'm not saying that tensions never show up. Not at all. This wouldn't be necessary to talk about if, if tensions did not show up. I'm just saying uh, that that because they exist, they don't necessarily have to be the governing forces. And I also want to show as we work through some, some of the Scripture that I don't think they are competing forces, at least not outright. Um, so we don't have to ask questions like um, if I trust scientific research and discovery, do I have to write off spirituality? Right? Or, or we don't have to ask questions like if, if I agree with science, does that mean I'm a, a bad Christian? Right? Or does that mean I don't trust God? No, pe- people don't have to reject the claims of, of scientific communities because of their faith. right? Often, often without really understanding why. And people also don't have to reject faith in Jesus uh, just because of their respect for, for science. Right? What a heartbreaking position to put anyone in. If they feel like they have to choose between those two things. Right? So hopefully you guys have had time to get to Psalm 19. Um, so if you want to, to look there, we're going to start in verse 1. So it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And also I'm going to be breaking this up a little bit just as a heads up. So I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to explain a little bit. Rinse and repeat. So just keep it open where you are. Um, So it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the heavens uh, was the way ancient people or the people at the time referred to everything that could be seen up in the skies, right? Day or night, everything up there was referred to as the heavens. The sun, the moon, the clouds, the stars, even weather patterns, things that changed up above them. All of that was included in what they called the heavens. Um, And here, the psalmist is saying that All of those things, everything that happens up there, away from us, in the skies, is declaring the work of God, declaring the glory of God, right? So let's keep reading. It says, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So then we see him talking about how, how our observable world uh, tells us things about God, tells us things about, about God's nature, right? It says that, that those things, it says night after night, they reveal knowledge, right? Meaning that there are things that we can learn and things that we can draw from those things that we observe, conclusions that we can, that we can come to with no speech, no words, no sound coming from those things. Let's keep reading. It says, In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So after that, he, he gets specific, right? He, then he mentions the sun in the heavens, the sun in particular. So this is an ancient person, the person writing the Psalms, who they have no telescope technology. Remember, Galileo got all the flack for that. So they had no telescope technology or satellites to take pictures or or anything like that. Um, But but he still observes the masterful and craftful design of the sun. He he says it hides during the night. In his mind, he says it's like a tent. It goes away at night, and then it appears again in the morning, and it runs its course to the end of the day, right? And because of that, he says, nothing is deprived of its warmth. So even without all the technology that we have to observe the intricacies of all of it, he, he notices that because of the sun, from our perspective, because it moves from one side of the sky to the other throughout the day, it brings warmth to everything, everything that needs it. And, and he's noticing that there's a design to that, an intentionality to that with which, with which God has made all of his work, right? All of that to him, uh, it communicates the glory and, and the beauty and the intelligence of God, the creator, right? So, so what we see is the psalmist making several different observations throughout this passage, right? They're making, they're making observations about God. They're making observations about His glory while at the same time making several observations about the natural world in which they live, the things that they see around them day to day. So there's this, this incredibly beautiful and, and interesting tension that uh, exists in their mind. And, and their observations in the natural world are tied directly to God. How cool of a picture is that? There's this tension that exists between what they see, what they experience in their day-to-day life and the natural world around them. And it points back to the glory of God in their mind. And that's just six verses from Psalm 19. There's plenty of Psalms that contain these same ideas. uh, And and similar similar ideas too, not just these same ones. And all I'm trying to to show you is, is how the psalmist views the phenomena of the world they live in. They see nature itself all around them. They live amongst it and and the things that happen in it and they recognize God's presence in those things. Not not as reasons to reject God's presence. Not as reasons to reject God's work or his power. He sees God's design as reasons to notice and appreciate and study natural phenomena around them. Not as reasons to resist it. So in his mind, this is not a competition at all. There's this deep, rich, profound harmony between the two things. Understanding the way things work in our world is is not a way to avoid giving praise and glory to God. It is is a way to ascribe to God even more glory, right? Even more worth for having designed those things in that way, for, for being over those things that we see around us. And this harmony exists in other parts of scripture as well. I'm just gonna fly by these. Uh, Romans one says that we are, uh, says that God's existence and and his work is evidenced by creation. Things around us are evidence of God at times. Ephesians two talks about how we are God's handiwork, created with care and attention. Psalm 139 talks about the intricacies of how we are knit together and formed as babies. God's God's intention and design can be seen specifically in the intricacies and the details of the human body in some of these passages. So the Bible does not at all require a person of faith to reject the realities of the natural world around us. In fact, faith may even be reason to study them even further because of of what it reveals to us about God. Uh, One person that I think... Uh, takes, his takes a really helpful perspective on all of this. His name is uh, Francis Collins. So for some of you, that may ring a bell if you are deeply engrossed in the scientific community, which some of you might be, but for everyone else, uh, Collins is a very strong follower of Jesus, um, but he is also a world-renowned scientist. Um, he was actually selected to uh, be the director of something called the Human Genome Project, um, if you don't know what that is, it's really cool. Uh, look it up later when you have more time on your hands than you know what to do with, or look up a summary when you have a normal amount of time, because there's a lot. Uh, but if you're unfamiliar, it was a huge, it's actually the largest collaborative biological project in all of history. It's uh, funded by the National Institutes of Health here in the States among other international groups. It spanned 20 different universities in seven different countries, um, and it, it gave us our current understanding of how human DNA works. There's a video of Francis Collins and Bill Clinton when he was president announcing the success of the Human Genome Project at the time. So this guy's a big deal. He knows what he's doing. Mm. Um, So I say all of that to show you that Francis Collins is not some, like, crazy religious crackpot who, like, sits in his basement coming up with conspiracy theories to just, like, blast on social media. He doesn't do that. He doesn't. I checked just before I said that. Just in case somebody was like, actually, he said this crazy thing. Um, He didn't do that. And if he did, it's not my fault. So he, he can and does speak authoritatively on all of these subjects. He speaks authoritatively on the international scientific stage. Perhaps more than most people who are currently living and working in, in those fields, right? He is someone who, who I think beautifully puts this harmony between science and, and faith. In, in his writing and in his work, he, he's written a book that I'm going to reference a few times. Um, and I will say, all of, all of that to say, he's a brilliant guy. Um, and he has some amazing things to say. He is very much a scientist, and his work is great. His writing reflects that he very much appreciates data and not necessarily literary eloquence. Um, so I say that because he's, these quotes that I'm going to read are long. And there's lots and lots of words in them, uh, but they're super helpful. So I, I want to give that disclaimer because it can get easy to get mixed up in kind of the, all of the words that are going on, but he just wants to be as exhaustive as possible in the things that he is saying. Um, so bear with me. I'm going to try to read it slow so everybody can follow along. Um, but I want you to pay super close attention because he puts this harmony really, really well. Um, he says this. If God created the universe and the laws that govern it, And if he endowed human beings with intellectual abilities to discern its workings, would he want us to disregard those abilities? Would he be diminished or threatened by what we are discovering about his creation? By no means. If God's existence is true and certain scientific conclusions about our world are also true, then they cannot be in opposition to each other, right? Not even a little bit. I cannot fathom any circumstance where the God who created us and communes with us would ask us to disregard the minds he has given us and our ability to grow just to prove our love for him. And scripture does not advocate for that either. Right? How beautiful is that? He, that, that last, the last two sentences where he says, I cannot fathom a circumstance where a God who created us and communes with us would ask us to disregard the minds he has given us. So, why do so many people throughout history, and in our world today, uh, seem to be at such great odds with one another over the conversation of science and faith? Why does this happen? I think, personally, a lot of it comes down to a misunderstanding uh, and a misapplication from both sides, to some degree, of of different categories. Obviously, social tensions exist. that are different now than they were in the past and then different than they will be in the future. Uh, historical context matters uh, for, for part of this conversation clearly. But in general, I think that people look for the right answers in the wrong places a lot of the time. People look for the right answers in the wrong places. And I think it happens in a couple of specific ways. So I just wanna talk about two of those ways today. Um, the first thing, that I want to point out is the Bible is not a science textbook, right? The Bible is not a science textbook. Um, we often, I think, try to ask questions of things that they were never meant to give answers to. They were never meant to give specific answers in the way that we're looking for them. So, for example, you wouldn't grab a Vogue magazine when you need to fix something on your car, right? Unless you're just waiting for someone else to fix it and you want to read something, Right? <laughs> Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't look through a, a cookbook in English and say, you know what, I'm going to learn Spanish from this book. No, you're not. <laughs> not unless you have a very different skill set than I do. Um, you wouldn't read a Nicholas Sparks novel, just at all. <laughs> just don't. <laughs> right? Just don't. Just avoid it at all costs. No, I'm, that's an aside. Um, but, but different things serve different purposes, Right? And and they were intended to serve different purposes. The Bible is not and was never meant to be a science textbook. It just was not. And when you look to the Bible uh, to be something it was never intended to be, you just end up creating more of a conflict between science and faith than there actually is. I'm not saying that no answers to anything in our natural world can be found in the Bible. That is not what I am saying, but as a book, as, as, a, as a Holy Spirit-inspired, God-breathed book, it is not intended to be a science textbook from cover to cover, right? So the second thing I want to point out, first, the Bible is not a science textbook, but second, science cannot authoritatively determine morality, right? Science cannot authoritatively determine morality. So science and and everything it encompasses uh, is able to serve many incredible purposes, right? Give us amazing answers uh, about about creation, uh, about the world around us, but there's also plenty of things that it will never be able to do, and it was never intended to, right? Science can help us answer questions. Uh, It can help us answer questions like, how does biological life work? Like, what is happening? What makes things tick? It should be able to answer that question. Why do things function the way that they do? What makes up the things around us in our world? It can answer those questions. But science cannot give us the answers to questions like, what is life for? Right? What, why do things function like this? For what purpose do these things function? What, for what purpose are we here? And especially, it can't answer the question of how, how should we live, right? Sci- science cannot give us answers to morality, to those questions. And, and when we try to pretend as if it does, uh, sometimes we end up sounding a little silly if we take it to our logical conclusions. Not always, but sometimes. So I, I've heard people say things like, well, monogamy isn't naturally occurring in, in most other organisms. So... The, the argument that humans should be monogamous, uh, it's just that doesn't hold up. That's just not how nature works. Um, but that's using science and examples that we see around us to dictate morality for, for people, right? That's not what science is intended to do. Right? Plenty of animals also eat their mate after they're done. Like, no one's advocating for that, right? And the ones that do are on, like, 24 or whatever that show is. Um. No, that's, that's not what's happening. People are not advocating for that, right? Plenty of animals murder the, the, their mate. and Well, it's not called murder, I guess, when it's animals, but you get what I'm saying. Um, I don't think anyone's advocating that people should, should adopt those practices, right? Uh, because science categorically, it, it's not meant to determine morality. It's not authoritatively speaking on morality. It's not what it's for. Um, here's a way that I've actually heard many, many scientists put it or many people within the scientific field. They, they have said, you cannot derive ought from is. You cannot derive ought from is. Right? So science can do a great job telling us how things are. But it doesn't do a very good job of telling us how things ought to be or should be. Right? Science, science works best as a way to explain why things the way they are around us, not as a means of insisting that that's how they should be or insisting a way that they should be. You you can't say, uh, because these things are this way, it is therefore morally right and good for things to be this way. That doesn't That doesn't make sense. Uh, If for no other reason, then uh, much of science is actually focused on giving us ways to, to change things, to change life for the better, right? Medicine, exercise science, discoveries about nutrition, all these different things, they can help contribute to human flourishing and growth, right? They say, here's how things are, and here's a way to keep on working on them. That's cool. That's a good thing. But it's not saying, here's how things are, and therefore, they have to remain that way, Right? Those things that we can learn from science can help us, help us change, help us grow, help us become healthier humans. That's a great thing. We can live a longer, fuller life. Um, so science at its best, I would say, is, is when people who are guided by ethics use science to improve life. I think that's a fair statement. When people use uh, science guided by ethics to improve life, right? not to insist that because something is, it should be. And, and moreover, science cannot determine morality uh, if for no other reason than science is constantly changing and constantly evolving, right? Just like we mentioned earlier, prior to Galileo, many scientists were certain everything revolved around the sun, or the earth, sorry. They were certain of that, right? But then Galileo came along and said, actually, it's not, and we now accept that as, as being true, and it changed. Before that, many felt sure the earth was flat, and then... Some of those people came back, I don't know. <laughs> but things change, science, science is constantly changing and our discoveries are changing. Um, a recent article that I saw, I thought it was, it was really interesting, um, it was, uh, it's a scientific journal, like a real scientific journal, not like a, a uh, I don't know how to describe it, a Sunday school scientific journal, I don't know. Like an actual scientist, not somebody being like, let me disprove everything by making religious claims. That's not this kind of scientific article. Um, so, it was a really reputable scientific journal, and the article was tire- titled, uh, If You Say Science is Right, You're Wrong. It's a pretty catchy title, right? And I was like, I'm going to read that one. Um, and in, in this article, the author, who's, she's very highly respected. She's a professor at Harvard, um, and again, not a, not a crazy person as far as this category is concerned. I can't speak to the rest of her life. Um, but she, she is saying that, fortunately for us, science is constantly changing, right? They, they said, quote, science is a process of learning and discovery, and sometimes we learn that what we thought was right is wrong, right? That's part of scientific discovery, and that's a great thing. That's part of what it is for, but I say that to, to make sure that I point out that just because you can observe how something is with science and using it in that way, that does not dictate how things should be. So, I know I just said several things back and forth a little bit. Uh, here's the point, main point that I'm trying to make with, with all of that. Um, we can't and shouldn't be trying to use science or the Bible in ways they were never intended to be used. Right? We cannot and should not be using science or the Bible in ways that they were not intended to be used. But at the same time, uh, we should not be pitting them against each other as if they're mutually exclusive. Right? We should not be pitting them against each other as if they are constantly at odds with one another. Just not, that's just not the reality. So again, uh, Francis Collins... Uh, puts this really well. And again, lots of words, so bear with me. It's super helpful. Um, His book, I didn't say this earlier, it's called The Language of God, if anyone wants to read it. It's a very helpful book. Um, But he says this. He says, Will we turn our backs on science because it is perceived as a threat to God, abandoning all the promise of advancing our understanding of nature and applying that to the alleviation of human suffering and the betterment of humankind? Alternatively, will we turn our backs on faith, concluding that science has rendered the spiritual life no longer necessary and that traditional religious symbols can now be replaced by engravings of the double helix on our altars? Both of these choices are profoundly dangerous. Both deny truth. Both will diminish the nobility of humankind. Both will be devastating to our future. And both are unnecessary. He says, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful, and it cannot be at war with itself. Only we imperfect humans can start such battles, and only we can end them. I think he puts that so, so beautifully, saying that we can't sacrifice either of those things for the sake of the other because... That's just, that's not how we were supposed to function. That's not how the reality in which we exist was supposed to function. So, uh, the next time you see a, a scientific advancement, the next time you, you hear about something, there is no reason that you should automatically see it as a threat to your faith. Or to faith in general. Right? It may even be cause for deeper worship within your faith. It may be that that the thing that person invented or discovered or unearthed is just one more way that we can stand in profound awe and wonder at the meticulous, intentional, beautiful care of the creator God. That's very well what could be happening. Where we can join with the psalmist in saying, I I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, right? Right? Um, But also, the next time uh, a follower of Jesus maybe raises a a moral or ethical concern about a particular scientific advancement or discovery, um, it may not mean that they are some backwoods sheltered bigot of some kind who fundamentally opposes science or progress. It's not a guarantee if they raise concerns, right? It, It might be that there should be a higher authority in the universe than just what is or what could be. Maybe, maybe we sh- also need to be guided uh, by what ought to be and what should be, right? Um, I think uh, this was put very well in the recent documentary Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> when talking about lab-grown dinosaurs, right? He talks about how Uh, Your scientists were so concerned about whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think about whether they should. It's deeply spiritual. (laughs) This is the old Jurassic Park, for reference. Jeff Goldblum, what a saint. Um, (laughs) I think it's very helpful. So I think uh, there's this really beautiful uh, complementarity between science and faith. This beautiful dance, we'll call it, between science and faith. Are there difficult tensions between them to navigate? Sure, of course there are, as there are with anything, is, is with anything in our world, right? They, but they do not need to be enemies. They don't. And, and I want to wrap up things today um, just by, by bringing us all back to, to just... How highly um, I think Scripture and God uh, view the realities of the natural world in which we live. I think it is it is a beautiful perspective. Um, yes, we as followers of Jesus worship a, a God who is outside of our natural realm. Um, who, who sees things and works outside of the constraints of our world, outside of the constraints in which we live. Um, but I think we, we only need to look uh, to, to Jesus to put all of this in perspective, to the gift that was Jesus. Right? Jesus came to, to earth. Right? Jesus was born as a human, flesh and blood, with all the constraints of our natural world that we live in. And, and he, this, this, I think, was the ultimate picture of an all-powerful, spiritual God working through material and natural means uh, to achieve something that transcended anything that we could imagine. Right? He didn't say, you have to pick either natural things, things that you see in the world around you and those laws that govern reality and that is, that is it where you have to look to me and that is it. That is not what he is saying. He's saying, I in, my, in the fullness of God choose to, to enter into the realities of the natural world that he created to, to create this. I, I really think it, it transcended everything that we can imagine, at least for me. and He, he demonstrated his understanding his understanding of and his authority over all things physical and all things spiritual, right? He does not discount either of those things. He is not saying either of those things are insignificant. He did not cut either one out. He fully embraced and fully lived on both sides, right? And Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection showed that God was while he cared immensely about the natural world around us, he was not bound exclusively by it. Right? He had authority over it. And by that, he created a, a way for us to be reconciled to him as our Father, right? Um, so the incarnation is what we call it. This, uh, it's an idea, we're gonna, we're gonna spend a lot more time uh, looking in detail at, uh, looking in detail at leading up to Christmas um, but it's just a perfect example of, of just how integrated the natural and spiritual are. Right? Jesus was transcendent enough to work through natural means. Right? A, a human body, a life, the cross, the tomb, all of these things. He worked through those to accomplish things that go well beyond the natural world. To accomplish redemption. Redemption to give us hope, to give life and purpose for humanity, right? And as followers of Jesus, we should have no problem following in those footsteps, right? Looking at both with the respect and and the awe that they are due and knowing that an all-powerful God is, is deeply involved in and over all of those things. He does not put them at odds with each other because he cannot be at odds with himself, and, and I think that's a beautiful picture that's something that we can, can pursue, an increased understanding of the things that the Lord has placed around us and given us, while at the same time growing in our worship for him and our awe of him as we continue to learn more about him through the things that we learn around us. And I think that's a really beautiful, beautiful thing that we get to participate in as followers of Jesus. So I hope that is a satisfactory answer to all of you. Good news, everyone in my life group, you can keep your job. Um, <laughs> you don't have to leave the STEM fields. Uh, but I think it's this really beautiful, beautiful picture that we can continue to look at, and, and it can be an amazing way, and it has for me, in growing in our understanding of God, but also just continuing to grow in our awe of the amazing uh, creator that he is and, and the work that he is still doing around us. Um, so I would love to pray for us as we, as we acknowledge that and we can celebrate the work of Jesus. Um, God, I uh, first just want to uh, just thank you for, for who you are, um, for just for, for everything that you have accomplished through your power um, in this, in the spiritual realm, we'll we'll say the the power that you have and dominion you have over all things, um, that you have given us um, a deeply spiritual identity, that you have given us souls that long after you, um, and we thank you that that you have done that and that you have created a means for us to be uh, in community with you, that we can commune with. You through the work that you accomplished in Jesus. Uh, yeah, I just I pray that we can just rejoice in resting in the reality uh, that your work is is so much bigger than our understanding sometimes, but also uh, so much bigger than the constraints that we live in, and that does not take away from the beauty. And the wonder of the things around us that we do live in. Um, I just, I pray that we can, uh, as, we, as we go about our daily lives, that we would be able to look around us um, and be able to observe all of the, the things that are in existence around us, but that they would inspire uh, just an increased awe for you uh, and knowing that, that you are over all things that we exist in as well, that we can grow in our worship to you and our worship for you, and that you are not threatened by our attempts to understand the things that you have placed around us. And as we continue to grow in our understanding of, of the realities of our natural world, I pray that it would continue to grow us in our love for you. And yeah, and just our awe of you. And we thank you that you have bridged the gap between us so that we can be fully reconciled to you uh, with our spiritual sense, but in our physical bodies right now, that we can live in that reality. And I just pray that we would just be able to live lives celebrating that reality um, and rejoicing in in what you have done and then what you continue to do and what you will do for us. We thank you so much for, uh, for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray.